Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's take a look at it. And, and these are weeks one, two, and three. A few notes. Divisions are remaining in place for next year. The conference has not yet revealed its plans for 2024 and beyond when USC and UCLA join the league. This 2023 schedule was originally announced in 2018. It had to be tweaked due to some changes that were made in the COVID year. But the crossovers that were announced that year remain. So the opponents all stayed the same. The news today is the dates of the game. So we're looking at week one, two, and three here. Week one, three conference games. Nebraska and Minnesota will play on Thursday night in Minneapolis. Ohio State and Indiana open the season in Bloomington, as they did back in 2017. And Northwestern will go to Rutgers. That will mark the fourth time in the last five non-COVID seasons that the Cats open with a conference game. Just one Big Ten game the following two weeks. It's Penn State at Illinois. The Nittany Lions, again, open conference play on the road. <laughs> it's noteworthy. Yeah, so let's get to week four, five conference games, including Iowa in Happy Valley. Wisconsin goes to West Lafayette. Michigan and Michigan State both at home. They are the only two schools to open the year with four straight home games. Last weekend of September, Illinois goes to Purdue. Michigan State will visit Iowa City. Nebraska's first conference home game for whomever is named the new head coach will be against Michigan. Penn State on the road at Northwestern. Highlights the following week include Nebraska at Illinois. Got the Little Brown Jug game in Minneapolis. Those are the conference home openers, by the way, for Ohio State and Wisconsin. So at that point, everyone will have played at least one conference home game. And then let's look at week seven. That will feature the Heartland Trophy game in Madison. Ohio State going to Purdue for the first time since 2018 when the Boilers beat them by more than four touchdowns. So there is a lot to digest here. We'll get to the back half of the slate next, but just kind of first blush. Anthony, I'll let you go first, then we'll hear from Pat. What stands out there? Nebraska opens up their first game of the season, another conference clash. So I, I think from a, a Huskers perspective to, to have that coming up in week one, it doesn't have to be in week zero. So I suppose at least you maybe get that additional week of preparation leading into it. But to, to face the Gophers, certainly a, a team that's, you know, going to be a difficult task when you look at the way the Minnesota program has performed in recent years. But for Nebraska, whoever the regime is in place, I think just the first game out for the Huskers, that one really stands out to me. And, 
You referenced it, Dave, you know, Penn State being on the road for their first conference test. Uh, again, I think that's another one that, you know, James Franklin made a really big deal out of it during this season, having all these these road conference openers over and over again. And this is going to be yet another season where their first test will be an Illini program that is legit this year. And there's no reason to think they won't be again next year. Yeah, not just a road game, but a difficult road game. Right. Uh, Pat Forty, what stands out to you? Yeah, in addition to Nebraska, which I like Anthony mentioning that there, with the new coach is going to open with two in a row on the road because they follow Minnesota with Colorado, a trip there. So immediate challenge. But I, I'm looking at Purdue, and I think their schedule's pretty interesting. Uh, first four road games, very first four Big Ten games, very challenging. Wisconsin, Illinois, they're both at home at least. But then you have at Iowa and Ohio State. That follows a non-conference schedule where you play two Power Five opponents. They have Virginia Tech on the road and they have Syracuse. So six of the first seven games, Power Five opponents. You got Ohio State in there. You got some real challenges within the division. And then in the back half, they've also got Michigan. So I think uh, Purdue has one of the most difficult schedules you're going to see anywhere in the country in 2023. No doubt. And, and this is the M.O. with Purdue. They traditionally play difficult non-conference yeah. schedules. And, yeah. and again, uh, many of these games in terms of the non-conference announced by the schools previously, but it is interesting now when you look at it in its totality, just to get a sense for, okay, what precedes this game, what follows this game, and no doubt Purdue's got it tough, although I would say having those two West games at home, mm -hmm. to me, those are two really big, you know, West games there early on in the schedule, Wisconsin and Illinois, certainly if we're going to use this season as a precedent, those could be games that go a long way toward deciding who wins the West, Anthony. Well, make for, for quite a measuring stick for Purdue. And, and when you have those games back-to-back, -back, and especially that they're going to be leading into a bye for the Boilers, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa. And stylistically, Purdue is the team that's kind of the outlier in the West division where their style of play is different than the rest of the teams. All the teams in the West really value quality defense, but then when you look at Purdue, they're going to pass the ball with volume. Now, we've talked about the storyline this year where there is more balance. I had given up on Jeff Brom in the rushing attack for the Boilers. We do see Devin Maccabee, Dylan Downing, uh, King Doru. We do see a rushing attack that's emerging for Purdue. They're not at the bottom of the Big Ten, but they're still stylistically the outlier in the West. So you got physical games, division games, back to back to back, leading into a bye. I'm imagining after they face Ohio State, that bye week's going to come at a good time for the Boilers. Interesting that once again, the Big Ten, and it seems we've gone to this model now, at least for now, permanently. I mean, you know, nothing's permanent in this world, and, and we will see what happens when the additions are made the following year with USC and UCLA, but this notion of opening with conference games. We, we've seen it here year in and year out, Pat. It's really engaging. It can give some teams a leg up. It can get others behind the eight ball. When you look at it from a national point of view, what are these three conference clashes early on mean in terms of getting eyeballs on the Big Ten? Yeah, I love it. I think it's a great idea. You know, why not disperse your quality games throughout the schedule? Uh, and, you know, especially I, there's not a ton of like great non-conference games throughout this schedule. So let's get some of these good ones up front. Um, you know, Purdue and Penn State to open this season was super exciting, interesting, engaging. Uh, I think really got people locked in on the Big Ten. And I think these games will do the same. I, I, you know, Nebraska opening again with the new coach there right away in a league game. People are going to be super curious about that. Um, Ohio State, one thing there, they had five home games in a row to open this season. Well, they're starting on the road next year at Indiana, and they've also got several other road games early on. So 
Uh, I think this is a very good idea. It's good scheduling by the Big Ten to not just ease into things. It's like, hey, let's get on the stage right away and get people watching our teams. A sneaky one for week one, Pat, is that Northwestern Rutgers game because both programs, you could view them as you know evenly yoked, you know, different divisions. But for Northwestern coming off of what right now, to this point at least, has been a difficult season. And Rutgers will see you know, if they can end up qualifying for a bowl game this year. But looking into next season, that's a game where I think each of them will look at that and say, we've got a great opportunity to get a conference win in the Big Ten and a great opportunity to try and jumpstart the season. So for those two programs, beginning with a conference game, obviously a huge opportunity. And then in addition to that, what can it mean moving forward for the rest of the year? But you're not doing it against a team that's you know perhaps going to be heavily favored yep. against you or a squad that you are, are viewed as having a big personnel disadvantage with. So that opening game for Northwestern and Rutgers, that's a sneaky good one. And that, of course, is a crossover game. It's important to note this is a year, 2023, is a year where there will be five home games for the West Division team. So, in other words, they get two of those three crossover games at home. Obviously, it's the opposite this year. It's been alternating back and forth year to year. Speaking of the crossovers, we're going to dive into those in a little bit. We'll take a closer look at the back half of the schedule. You've obviously been able to see it with the full grid there, but but we'll dive in more fully next. As back on Big Ten today, we continue to dive into next year's conference football schedule. Week eight features six games. It includes the Floyd of Rosedale battle in Iowa City, Northwestern and Nebraska. They're playing in North America this time. Plus the <laughs> Paul Bunyan trophy battle in East Lansing and Penn State going to Columbus. So two games we're seeing this weekend as well will be week eight of next year. Uh, the final week with buys is October the 28th. Among the highlights, Michigan State going to Minnesota. Ohio State will be in Madison. It will mark the first time the Buckeyes have played at Camp Randall since 2016. Now, starting November 4th, you've got no buys. You've got seven games every weekend. It includes Purdue at the Big House. It'll be the first time they've played in Ann Arbor since 2011. Nebraska, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Indiana are the other crossovers. The next week features Minnesota and Purdue. A couple of big East battles. Michigan will be at Penn State. Michigan State, meanwhile, going to the shoe. The penultimate week of the regular season includes the Gophers in Columbus, Nebraska, at Wisconsin. Purdue at Northwestern, that would be the final game before they tear down Ryan Field. And then Thanksgiving weekend, Iowa and Nebraska is already set for Black Friday. It's important to note, another game will be moved to that day as well. That'll be announced at a later date. And then rivalry weekend, including Ohio State and Michigan squaring off in Ann Arbor. So, Anthony, I'll give you the first word on the back half. We'd obviously seen it in the big schedule grid, but got a chance to dissect it week by week there. What do you like? We've been talking about the difficulty of the Purdue schedule, and I think that continues in the back half here. Coming off the bye week where you have the Ohio State game, I think you referenced it'll be the first time that they faced Ohio State. And then before the bye week, the first time they faced Ohio State at home since that magical night with Tyler Trent and the whole storyline there at Ross Aid Stadium. But coming off of the bye, to have two weeks after the bye, Michigan to be one of their crossover opponents that they're going to face, obviously a difficult way for, for Purdue to try and come down the home stretch there. But that Black Friday game, obviously, every year, it feels like that one is growing between Iowa and Nebraska is growing in its notoriety, growing in the rivalry there with the border war between those two programs. And you know, who knows what could be on the line by the time you get to that final week of the regular season. So those are two that really stand out to me in the back half. Yeah, and it is important to note, again, there will be another Black Friday game that is part of the new 
television arrangement that will start next year, and that will become an annual thing. So Black Friday is going to be a day not just for Iowa and Nebraska fans going forward, but larger scale Big Ten football celebration. Pat, uh, back half, what stands out there? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess that Michigan Ohio State will not be the other Black Friday guy. <laughs> I, I think that's going to be at noon on yes, Saturday. Yes, I think so. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go out on that thin limb. Uh, five schools have have back-to-back road games in the second half, and you start getting beaten up, you start getting tired, and sometimes those back-to-back road games can be difficult. Minnesota is at Purdue at Ohio State in November. Purdue continuing their tough schedule there. They're at Nebraska at Michigan. Uh, in the second half there. And then Michigan uh, Michigan State and Ohio State all have back-to-back road games as well. Uh, I think uh, you're looking at, at Michigan at Penn State, at Maryland, and then leading into that Ohio State game. That'll be a challenging uh, uh, end of the season there. And I do like the, the, the week where we have Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, Michigan State uh, all playing each other again. Uh, the, 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 those four, I like seeing them match up in that what could potentially be that big Saturday uh, as we have this year, this week actually coming up. Now, there have been reports, guys, that the Big Ten is moving off of divisions in 2024. There's no official announcement on that yet. So, again, we're just kind of going by what we've got, which is this schedule being released today. The Big Ten has said it will discuss future seasons here going forward, so kind of can't confirm what has been out there. But what do you look at? How, how do divisions impact this, you know, kind of the way that you view this league? Well, I, I do love the fact that there's more opportunities to hang banners. There's more opportunities to, to you know, achieve some sort of a championship. And so if you go away from divisions, then you have a, in 2024, 16-team conference that as you get deeper and deeper into the season, then as the, as the tiers of the conference begin to sort of lay themselves out, then who are the teams whose records aren't quite as good and aren't finishing towards the top? Then what are their fan bases really sort of looking towards? Is it only bowl eligibility? You know, so I, I do think that goes away if you get rid of divisions. You could just realign divisions and, and get them a little bit more evenly yoked if that's a direction you want to go. So that's probably where my vote would end up. But in the end, just the, the sport as it's evolved is about putting your conference in the best position for postseason play. And, Pat, that's really what this movement is about, right? And we've started to see it in other leagues as well, the notion that, you want your two best teams to play in your championship game, kind of irrespective of where they may be geographically in, in terms of how the Big Ten is broken down or in some other leagues just broken down uh, a little more haphazardly. But, but either way, that is the impetus behind this. Yeah, it is. You want, you want a good game and you want your best teams playing and getting the, the quote-unquote 13th data point for playoff purposes uh, we see a lot of mismatches in conference championship games, so I think that's what a lot of people are trying to get away from. I am with Anthony where I like the divisional setup, but kind of particularly with the, the Big Ten because I think it gives those teams in the West something to hang a hat on. I mean, folks in Iowa were awfully excited about winning that West Division championship last year. It's been a big point of pride at Northwestern to rise up and win that. At Illinois, I was at Illinois yesterday, and guess what? They're talking about, okay, we just got to do this, this, and this, and we can get to Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah. That part of the equation is really something that, that you know means a lot to a lot of schools, is being able to, to hang a banner, to get that trophy, uh, and you are kind of uh, taking that away. The other thing, look, it doesn't have to be an Ohio State-Michigan thing year after year, but 
if you're looking at Ohio State-Michigan playing at the last game of the, cha- of the regular season and then turning around and playing again the next week, I think that takes a little bit of the kind of Armageddon feel off of that uh, regular season game. And I'm not even sure that that's a completely great thing, just you know, from my sensibilities, Pat, of seeing the same teams playing back-to-back weeks. You know, how it, you know, it would still be exciting, obviously, for the Big Ten championship game. Then if you split the games one-to-one, you know, does one team still feel like they should have a claim to it? But even aside from that, you think of the East Division in the Big Ten, maybe the deepest division in college football, teams like Penn State, an emerging Maryland program, you know, they, they view these things when you talk to James Franklin and you talk to Mike Loxley of, okay, what would life be like perhaps if we didn't have to play in this division season in and season out? So if things did get realigned in some way where, where there was just, it, it was more of an even split between the two divisions in the Big Ten, then I'm sure there would be some coaches who are right now in the East Division that would be pleased with that to feel like, all right, there's a a legitimate, a more more of an opportunity here to try to claim a division title. I do want to get into the crossover games because for as long as there are divisions, this is what people are going to talk about. Perhaps it's the last year of it, perhaps not. But it is a huge point of emphasis, certainly for the West teams. It's always a point of emphasis who you play and whether you play the traditional powers. And Minnesota is the one that really stands out with Michigan, Michigan State, and a visit to Columbus. Purdue plays both the Buckeyes and Wolverines along with the annual battle with Indiana. Again, two home crossovers for every West team as opposed to this year where it is two. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For every East team, we're looking at the East crossovers here. Michigan going to Nebraska and Minnesota. Ohio State visits Purdue and Wisconsin. Penn State making two trips to the state of Illinois. They will visit both the Illini and the Wildcats. Uh, Again, it's hard to look at Minnesota and Purdue and not say that's significant in terms of where they'll end up at the end of the year and how legitimate their shot is to win the West. And certainly just for where Purdue is as a program right now because they have been growing, they have been improving on a, on a season-in, season-out basis. But then when you look at having not only Ohio State and Michigan, but your in-state rival, the Indiana Hoosiers, that they're going to play on, a, on an annual basis, then yes, that is a very, very difficult crossover test for Purdue. And there's even other squads when you look at, you know, maybe not all three you would put of the same caliber, but Iowa having both Penn State and Michigan State on their slate. Difficult crossovers because of where Michigan State showed themselves last season as a program, and they've certainly jumped up here recently and and been able to start to show some improvement here even for this season. So, you know, even if it's not all three that you would put of the same ilk, but even having multiple very difficult crossover matchups is something that I think a lot of these programs can look at and and wonder, okay, if our division, we know those teams know us really well, then you get to the crossovers, and it's something that you have to pay close attention to. Pat, we'll give you the final word on this. 
Well, you know what? I agree with Anthony that the, the, the teams, Minnesota and Purdue, that drew uh, both Michigan and Ohio State, that's, that's some crossover toughness there. Although I did get a text from somebody just during the show here from a Western Division side that said, where you see difficulty, I see opportunity. So I like that attitude. <laughs> Be optimistic. Go that's in and from take a coach? down those big dogs. <laughs> that's a coach? I, that is a source. That's a all I'm saying. S- like sources. It. Sources like deep yeah. within the Big Ten West <laughs> see opportunities right. in what we have just revealed here over the last 23 minutes. Uh, been a ton of fun. And, again, obviously now this is going to be uh, – all over the place on on the net and on uh, BigTen.org and Big Ten Network sites. So plenty of opportunities to digest it, to memorize it. Uh, there, there will not be a quiz. <laughs> However, there is just one game in the early window on Saturday. It is the game between Ohio State and Penn State. And Pat will give you the first thought on this one. Uh, Penn State obviously a couple weeks removed from just getting hammered by Michigan. They bounce back nicely last week how do you see this matchup though for them against Ohio State as compared to the one against the Wolverines I think it's a better matchup for Penn State Uh, that's not to say Michigan's better than Ohio State but I just think Penn Penn State's strengths and weaknesses are better suited to playing the Buckeyes than they were to playing the Wolverines this also it's a home game uh, so you get that advantage there but Penn State's got NFL players in the secondary. They've got a very good pass defense. Uh, They are, I believe, 10th in the country in pass efficiency defense, near the top in the Big Ten as well. And so if you're going to match up, if anybody can keep up with Ohio State's just ridiculous abundance of talent on the outsides and downfield, I think the Nittany Lions have a chance to do it and maybe make some smaller windows for C.J. Stroud to have to throw into. It's going to be less of a trench warfare game where they just absolutely could not match up with Michigan. This is going to be a game played a little bit more in space, and I like Penn State's ability to play in space defensively. And even though it's not the biggest defensive front in the world, there is legitimate talent up front for Penn State. They've had guys making really big impacts throughout the season, like Chop Robinson and Deny Dennis Sutton and obviously P.J. Mustafer when he's been healthy as well. On the opposing side of things, though, we saw Zach Harrison have, you know, at this point in his career, a true breakout game, you know, a heralded recruit. I, I saw him a lot in high school before he got to Columbus and watched him closely throughout his career, as so many Buckeye fans have watched him closely. And he's played well. He grades out well consistently. But as far as just being an impact, a splash playmaker for Ohio State in their defensive front, that may have been the game of his career against the Iowa offensive line. So whatever nightmares may be there for the Hawkeyes, they're going to have to shake those off. But Penn State watching that film is going to say, all right, how do we account for him? And that's what you're looking for. Who's the game changer, the game wrecker for the Buckeyes on that defensive front? They've been really good across the D-line. But if you can get that week in and week out from Zach Harrison, now you're looking at someone who you can game plan the entire defense around that when he can play at that level. Well, this is the part of this game that interests me as well, Pat. And I know you, you were talking a little bit about the Penn State defense and maybe a, a better matchup for them. What about this Ohio State defense? I mean, it is certainly statistically dramatically improved over where it was a year ago. They were barely in the top 40 in the nation in scoring defense. They're number five now coming into this game. They have not played a particularly dynamic offense yet, though. What challenges do you think Penn State's offense presents for Ohio State on D? Yeah, I think uh, best opponent and best offense probably that they have faced, you know, give or take maybe Toledo. But Notre Dame's offense, disappointing. Wisconsin's offense, disappointing. Uh, Iowa's offense, wildly disappointing. So uh, this is a step up. Sean Clifford can make plays. He's tough, too. It's hard to rattle him 
Hard to force him into just completely getting off his game. They've got good running backs. Now, can the offensive line open some holes? We'll see. Uh, as, as Anthony alluded to, there's some, there's some guys on defense on the line there for Ohio State you've absolutely got to account for to make sure Clifford has time, but he's not afraid to stand in against a heavy rush and deliver the ball. And then, yes, if you can possibly keep yourself balanced and keep the pass rush a little bit on its heels by establishing the run, I think Penn State will certainly be the, the most uh, dynamic offense that Ohio State's seen so far. And, guys, it's a huge game at home for Penn State and so much of the early portion of their schedule was about having really big games on the road. We saw now what a wideout did for them as the wideout always tends to do for Penn State with a great opponent coming in there. Now this is going to be a noon kickoff but it's at home in State College. You know there's going to be 110 or a million point five people just jam-packed into that stadium with Ohio State coming to town and I'm not out on the Nittany Lions yet. I know that performance against Michigan was not impressive. I still think especially even something small like Nick Singleton making big plays running to the left so many of his huge chunk runs had been towards the right side of their formation now you're seeing the offensive line the explosive running back in singleton making big chunk plays to the left and then sean clifford after an early mistake responded well to pat's point and so when you got that yes you know you're likely to have to go score for score with the buckeyes but they do have playmakers mitchell tinsley parker washington the tight end position they can try and keep up with the buckeyes especially if that secondary to pat's point is able to make some plays it is a series that has been dominated, as we know, by Ohio State. Winners of nine of the last That's ten. What the Buckeyes do, head to head. They dominate series. That, that is what they do. Now, how about Michigan State and Michigan? This is a series, at least in the very recent history, that Michigan State has had the upper hand on. I think it's easy to look at this matchup here on Saturday and say, Anthony, well, they're kind of two teams headed in opposite directions, and, man, Michigan's just going to overwhelm them. But the recent history certainly tells us otherwise. It hasn't mattered. You know, that, that, that overwhelming ability, the, the all-time sort of, you know, status of each program hasn't mattered lately in this matchup. And when you look at the fact that Michigan State, they've certainly tasted their own blood this season. Michigan hasn't so much. So as far as which program is perhaps a little bit more battle-tested, it's the Spartans. Now, you know, Maryland gave Michigan everything they could handle, but Michigan was able to, to outlast them in that game. I do believe, though, that Michigan State, where both are coming off of a bye week, and what really intrigues me about this matchup, and I think it's, it's significant, is the fact that this is definitively the biggest game in the regular season on the schedule of the Michigan State Spartans year in and year out. You can't make that same claim definitively for the Wolverines. You know the game lingers and lurks at the end of every corner, every crevice there at Schembechler Hall because Ohio State is going to be waiting for them at the end of the season. I do think intangibly, guys, that that's a part of where the Spartans have been able to make an inroad here in recent years. I will say this, though, Pat. At media days, when you talked to the Michigan players and kind of lauded them for their accomplishments last year and said, well, where do you go from here? Every single one of them responded, we have to beat Michigan State and Ohio State in the same season. So it's pretty obvious that Jim Harbaugh has made this game a priority because guys tend to echo what their coach says. Oh, you picked up on that too, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah that was, <laughs> yeah, I'm that, great with subtleties of language. Of, yeah. One of my specialties, yes. yes. The, the, that, no, the, the simmering, I think, kind of almost discussed that they lost that game last year. And it was to a really good Michigan State team. Yes. But the way it happened with Michigan looking like they had the game under control, Michigan State rallying, just a number of bang-bang plays that went one way or the other, some officiating calls that were argued for a long time. That game has lingered, I think, in the pits of the stomachs of a lot of the Wolverines. So 
Uh, there is no lacking in motivation for them. Now, I, Jim Harbaugh is still right when he says throw out the record books with this because there's certainly no lacking motivation for Michigan State either. To Anthony's point, uh, this is the game they circle every year, and it's also the game that can take a, out a lot of the bad taste of the first half of this season for them if they're able to pull the upset in, in Ann Arbor. But uh, I don't think there's any doubt that Michigan's coming into this game locked and loaded to play as well as they can. And Michigan State has won five of the last seven visits to the big house. Jim Harbaugh, three and four against the Spartans. I do want to talk a little bit about Illinois and Nebraska. The Illini in the West driver's seat. What do you think about this matchup going to Lincoln here, Pat? Oh, I, I, very interesting to me. I mean, Nebraska is playing better with Mickey Joseph. They've, they've kind of started to put some things together there. But Illinois is just, they're one of those programs that's just on high cruise right now and feeling like this is our season. We're, we were confident. Uh, we are playing well. We are not a fluke team. You know, we're good in the trenches. We can make big plays elsewhere. Our defense is lights out. So I, I think Illinois just has a great frame of mind. Now, the one thing they've got to do, they have they lead the nation in pass efficiency defense. Their numbers are almost silly. But they've played a lot of bad passing teams. This is a better passing team. I'm not saying Nebraska's Ohio State, but they can throw it around certainly better than Iowa has and several other the opponents that, uh, that Illinois has played to rack up those big stats. So they're going to probably have their biggest challenge in the secondary. And regardless of how many misses there have been at times for Nebraska throwing the football, we know they are going to keep firing. And Trey Palmer is as explosive as any wide receiver in the Big Ten Conference. He's going to be tested by one of the better secondaries in college football against the Illini. But when it comes down to it, if you continue to just – you know, I'll use the term hammer away, but you're, you're hammering away almost mentally at a secondary when you're willing to attack them with the deep ball to put speed in their feet over and over again in the way that Nebraska is willing to. And you've still got a rushing attack that can make an imprint on this game. But it is going to be a different level of pressure for the Illinois secondary than any other opponent. I mean, we thought maybe Virginia was going to be that earlier in the season. Turned out Virginia had nothing for the Illini like last season. But I think for, for Nebraska, from their perspective, Mickey Joseph, man, he's going to tell them, just keep attacking. The issue is the pressure in their face, which Illinois has been great at getting. Yeah. Nebraska does not have a really good offensive line, as we've seen. Casey Thompson's been under pressure quite a bit this year. But you also have to realize not only is Illinois number one in the nation in pass efficiency defense, the gap between one and two is larger than the gap between two and 34. I mean, they're not just good. They're awesome they've been, against They've the been hearing how yep. great they are for a couple of weeks. I hear you. By two. They got to respond. I got they, you. They have to handle success. I got you. New challenge. Crazy but true file. Ohio State has three wide receivers with at least six touchdown grabs this year. The rest of the Big Ten has a combined total of two. Marvin Harrison Jr. leading the way with 10. That is good for second most in the nation. And so it's time for the Impact Five, counting down the top five receivers in the Big Ten from five to one. Where are you starting? It's a difficult list, Dave, but I feel good about it. I feel okay. really good about this. Let's start in College Park. There's a variety of teams around the Big Ten Conference with several options that you could add to the top five list. But Rakim Jarrett, to me, is the number five receiver in the Big Ten this individual season for what he's been able to do up to this point. And it's a rushing attack for Maryland that's really emerged this year. So we haven't seen the volume to the passing attack that they've displayed, but it hadn't mattered because Rakim Jarrett, when he gets the football in his hands, all eyes on the defense have to go to him to gang tackle. He's this dynamo when he actually gets the rock in space, moving the chains, and he can take some house calls going there, but they haven't called for him to do that 
quite as much for the Terrapins in their passing attack this season. Yeah, you said it. They really pounded the ball last Saturday against Northwestern, but when they needed it, Rakim Jarrett came through a huge touchdown grab in that game. So who's number four? Uh, a bit of more, more of an acrobatic player when it comes down to it, and someone who they went into the transfer portal in State College to add to Parker Washington and what he brought to the table. But then Mitchell Tinsley, coming in from Western Kentucky, has already emerged in, in lower volume of reception just because of the way Penn State's been able to operate this season between having a run game that can get it rolling and then also, yes, having tight ends and Parker Washington that you can feed the football to. But we've seen circus grabs this season from Mitchell Tinsley, and he's so smooth in and out of his cuts in the route tree. And if you throw him a bad pass on occasion or a difficult grab, he can go one-handed on it with either hand. He's just very efficient with his route running ability and certainly with the way he can catch the ball. You can understand how he had more than 1,400 receiving yards last year at yeah. Western Kentucky and what obviously was a very wide-open offense. But yeah, We got to look at Bailey Zappi the other yes, night, Yes, we did. Yeah, right. yeah, playing right. some uh, significant minutes there against the Chicago Bears. Uh, who's number three? Number three is one of the more surprisingly combustible talents, I would call him, in the Big Ten Conference. I talked about Trey Palmer earlier and what this Nebraska offense has been able to do with him. And frankly, you know, he's kind of like a, a guy, he's kind of like a closer that only has a couple of different pitches. But man, can he bring the fire when it comes down to that speed. He will go and get the deep ball. And knowing that, game plan wise for the opposing defense what that ends up meaning is that you have to respect that you have to honor the ability of Trey Palmer to run by you and the way that Nebraska is willing to continue to try to feed him the football and he's got a quarterback with an absolute arm cannon that can get it as deep as any quarterback we see this season Trey Palmer is a receiver who can go and get it and so while he may not run the full scope of the route tree like some of the other targets in the Big Ten Conference what he does great is exceptional. Four scrimmage plays of 60 yards or longer. Astounding. That is the most in the nation. He is really explosive. I have a sense as to who two and one would be. Oh, do you? I don't know the order. I'm curious <laughs> for you to reveal it to me. Where are you going with number two? Well, Purdue's passing attack was looking for a new number one receiver, and a lot of us didn't know exactly who that would be, and especially with some of the, the roster movement that happened in West Life. But then... Here came Charlie Jones. He was kind of recruited there by his former childhood friend, and Aiden O'Connell is the quarterback. And once they were able to get him to West Life, immediately he proved himself to Jeff Brown. And then he proved himself to all of college football. He's been the most targeted receiver in the country for much of the year. We've seen in recent weeks, though, some of these other playmakers for the Boilermakers in the passing attack have begun to step forward. And now after that happened, it's allowed Charlie Jones to not necessarily be the focal point of every opponent. He's just put up massive numbers in every phase of the route. Uh, the numbers are crazy, right? I mean, yeah. more receiving yards, more touchdown grabs than in the rest of his career combined. And we're halfway through the season. And he doesn't it's, drop passes. He's so short-handed. It's a remarkable story. So, uh, clearly, number one, then, is in Columbus. And you could make a case for maybe one of the teammates of this individual in Columbus, but I believe from a highlight perspective and a volume perspective, there are few players in college football at the wide receiver position who've made the plays that Marvin Harrison, Jr., Jr., has been able to make for the Buckeyes this year. Obviously, different in stature from his old man at six foot four, but he runs like a deer. Obviously, well-trained in the way that you want to run routes as a wide receiver. 
But even when coverage is sound, even when defensive backs are in position, it's like an optical illusion where somehow Marvin Harrison Jr. is able to reach around them, to reach above them, to reach through them matrix style and still find a way to get the football. So the ability to catch the football, the ability to run after catch, to go up and get it in contested situations. There's not another receiver in college football doing it at his level. It's remarkable how good that receiving crew is. And to your point, you probably could have picked one or two others like off Luka, that group to be in your, in your top five. Yeah. No question. And, and then, of course, Jackson Smith and Jigba essentially hasn't played this year. Yes, this list is and specific yes, to this season. And, and he, this season. He led the Power Five in receiving. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.